What's going on everybody? This is Malik Prince from Team Xbox and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 87 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, June 20th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Chet Falizek, former Left 4 Dead developer and now CEO and co-founder of Stray Bombay, onto the show to talk about his upcoming title, The Anacrusis, which is launching into Game Pass later this year. Prior to that, we'll discuss news coming out of the Xbox Game Showcase Extended, including the return of Xbox Design Labs. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are a bit twofold. First and foremost, this is being recorded on Father's Day, and I want to give a shout-out to so many of the gaming dads out there, the single moms that are getting it done, and all of you who are working to make your family's lives better, and perhaps using gaming to help you do so. My mind goes to the Nintendo and Mega Dads, of course, course as well and also in a great celebratory statement i want to say happy juneteenth weekend of course juneteenth was known as freedom day or jubilee day and it is now the annual holiday celebrated on june 19th commemorating the end of slavery slavery in the united states cheers to all who are celebrating should be celebrating and uh, i hope that your weekend went well happy juneteenth happy father's day guys let's get to some gaming news my, oh my, so much gaming news to break down yet again. Of course, last week we had a bonus episode of XEP and two episodes, still not enough to cover all the gaming news. Of course, in our bonus episode with Kevin Ainsworth from Project X Talk, we talked about Summer Games Fest and Summer Game Fest. I keep doing it. I keep saying Games Fest. It's killing me, guys. We talked about Summer Game Fest. Ooh, still, still, I struggle with it. And, of course, the pre-E3 Xbox showcase in which Satya Nadella and the leadership at Microsoft vouched their support to the Xbox division. And then in our episode proper, Miles Dompierre joined me to discuss everything coming out of the Xbox showcase. Lots of stuff to break down there. Of course, I was on Cast Co-op, uh, as I am every other week, and we took down even more of the gaming news more in-depth there. However, since those recordings, which is awesome, we've had the Xbox Game Showcase Extended, hosted by Paris Lilly of Gamertag Radio and uh, Kinda Funny's Xcast. Uh, what a week of gaming news. There's just so much that we could continue to break down from the previous episodes on to now. Of course, we had the Square Enix Showcase. Nintendo did their thing, which uh, had mixed reception, of course. We'll, we'll be focusing on the Xbox news coming out of that game's showcase extended and there was a lot of it i was i'll freely admit i was initially quite hesitant to the idea of another showcase that ranking in around uh two hours i think it was an uh one hour and 54 minutes officially 
I was a little hesitant on that. I mean, what else could they show? I mean, I'm sure they were going to do deep dives and interviews, and indeed they did, but it went off without a hitch. It was genuinely quite good. I was skeptical about it because uh, we had the Xbox Bethesda showcase, which went over very well, of course. That was probably one of their best E3 showings ever to date, uh, at least in the top five, if not the best. And, you know, do you want to mess with success by having another opportunity for people to nitpick, right? And mind you, the competition this year, not that fierce as most of the other showcases disappointed uh, on a grand, like a big scale. I'm sure we got some stuff that we liked here and there. But as far as presentations, do you want to open yourself up to another opportunity for scrutiny? Well, Microsoft barreled forward with confidence. Paris Lilly hosted a great show, credit to him. Uh, and we saw deep dives on a number of games, uh, and it was pretty darn great. Of course, earlier in the week, even before that, there was the Halo Infinite multiplayer deep dive. And let's start really there. Uh, we saw the multiplayer deep dive to Halo Infinite, a game which, by all intents and purposes, has all the pressure on it this year. There's not likely to be a ton of competition for Game of the Year. Some people have speculated that Halo Infinite could be in the running. Uh, I've always been a little doubtful on that, given that it's a first-person shooter, and uh, there was a lot of scrutiny last year uh, over the summer after that first showcase. That said... It impressed at the game showcase proper, and then in the multiplayer deep dive yet again, just just wildly, wildly impressive stuff. It really seems to have captured the elements that made Halo special to the players that might be leaning on nostalgia for their Halo love, uh, players like myself who really enjoyed the lore of Halo, and newcomers alike. Mind you, it will be a, a single-player campaign that will release into... Uh, Game Pass, but then the multiplayer is going to be free to play, and that has the opportunity to bring a lot of people into the world of Halo that are skeptical, and when you have to compete alongside things like Call of Duty Warzone, Apex Legends, Fortnite, and so many others, of course Battlefield 2042, not free to play, but is launching this fall, uh, a lot of questions and, and, and I think fair skepticisms will, will arise here is whether or not Halo is still relevant and can compete, uh, even amongst fans like myself. This deep dive, coupled with the showcase, really did a lot to alleviate my stresses on that. They had several executives from 343 out on the stage to talk about this. They had multiplayer designer Alex Bean. Uh, I'm looking at the, the recap right now. Lead sandbox designer Quinn Delahoho. Del who, Quinn, I'm sorry, your last name, I just absolutely butchered it, and I apologize, uh, and Tom French out there, and it was just really cool to see Halo be back, captured the essence, the spirit, big team battle is back, and, and it's no longer 8v8, it's now 12v12, there's a lot of armor customization options in there, the battle passes are free, I'm sorry, are not free, but they can be purchased at any time, so that you never miss out on content, as far as like seasons go, uh, just genuinely impressive things uh, that captured the spirits of Halos of old and really meant to compete with a lot of the multiplayer shooters going forward. It seems that Joseph Staten and the team that he's uh, been working with over there have done a lot to bring this project back on track. It's ambitious. We know it's going to be a platform. We know that there's a lot of things happening in the creative mode section so that if people do want a battle royale down the line, that could possibly happen, though it doesn't seem to be 
necessary given what we're, we're looking at for this deep dive. Uh, but all in all, I encourage anyone with a passive interest or curiosity to go back and watch the, the multiplayer deep dive. Not too long. I think it's like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you'll really learn a lot. And I'm thinking about my friend Adam Leonard, who uh, is a hardcore PlayStation fan, not a Halo person in the slightest, doesn't really like too much competitive stuff. And I'm wondering if if he watched the deep dive, whether or not it, it would capture someone like him. There's a lot of interesting elements to see just how do we where we work we work with Halo going forward? But that was a neat one uh, for sure. I'm very curious to see uh, how the rest of, of the summer and fall go. We know that betas and flights will be rolling out to, to insiders, something you have to register for. Uh, I will tell you guys, I did not register for that. I think I think that I have moved past my desire to participate in betas, uh, except w- w- with special exception here and there. Uh, I just don't like playing the game before it's ready. I think I've really learned in the last two years that when I play a game at launch or prior to launch, it can sully my experience, and then when I return to it, I'm much happier, but that's time wasted that could be spent playing other games. Now, that's that might seem like a declarative statement that will get me in trouble, and I feel like it might. Uh, that said, uh, I'm just not not aiming for to be part of the beta, but a lot of my friends are, and I'm look, wishing them well and hoping to hear good things once those NDAs expire. Uh, and we can see what Halo Infinite has to offer. But let's get on to uh, the rest of that game showcase extended. A lot of good things on display. We got a really great deep dive, excuse me, into the Anacrusis, which uh, Chet Falasek was on the game showcase extended stage talking to Paris there. He's, of course, later on in this episode where we, or I sat down with him and talked to him about uh, what he's hoping to do there. He, of course, a former Valve developer working on Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, doing a lot with co-op shooters. I asked him how he plans on getting the Anacrusis to stand out amongst Aliens Fireteam, uh, Syst- uh, Systemic Reactions Second Extinction, uh, Back for Blood. And it was really cool to hear him just heap praise on all types of co-op shooters and not act like his was God's gift or anything else. And and a lot of cool things in that interview. I hope you guys check that one out uh, for sure as well. Uh, But they started off that that big old showcase with a lot of looks at uh, Forza Horizon 5. Forza Horizon 5 already looked wonderful, but we got a deep dive into just how they're making some of their more arcadey modes, how they went about creating some of their visuals. It was generally an impressive uh, thing all around. I was impressed with a lot of the biomes that we saw these cars racing through. Very lush greens, plant life looked amazing, clouds looked stellar. Uh, moving from biome to biome, from you know historic cities and ruins uh, to different places with with like deserts and snow-capped volcanoes, it was pretty darn cool to watch. And I gotta say that they uh, took that deep dive quite well, and also showed off some of those arcadey modes with just what you could do to uh, enjoy some of the silliness that a Forza Horizon brings to the table that a Forza Motorsport does not. Quite pleased with that, uh, for sure. After the Forza stuff, we got uh, an update, and that's a fair way to say it, an update on Hellblade 2, which seems to me is a little further behind in development than I once thought. Now, don't misunderstand me. I I should rephrase that. It seems to me that I thought this was further along, given when we first saw it, to the way that the Ninja Team director was discussing how Hellblade 2 was was progressing, where they were in development, led me to believe that where they initially thought they'd be, they are not, and that makes sense given the pandemic, but more to me that the scope of the game 
uh, has expanded from what they initially thought they were going to do. A lot of discussions of motion capture, animation, uh, going around getting photogrammetry stuff uh, captured for their ninth century recreation of Iceland, which is just super dope. They're even using satellite imagery to help them create things, which is just cool. It's just cool to think that that's happening there. Uh, but all in all, it looks to me like Hellblade 2 is going to be a massive undertaking, bigger even than I initially thought it was, and a game that's likely not going to happen for some time. And and cheers to that. I'm absolutely fine with that, uh, taking its good time to, to, to be the game that we want it to be, of course. Uh, we got a deep dive into the Anacrusis, which I talked about, uh, Stalker 2, A Plague Tale Innocence, uh, different looks at how Battlefield 2042 is going to be progressing. The PC crowd got some Age of Empires news, which was super dope. Uh, the big thing, and we also saw some Psychonauts 2 stuff, which people just adored, but the big news coming out of this was the return to me uh, of Xbox Design Lab. Xbox Design Lab uh, is back for the Xbox Series S and X generation. The Xbox One controllers no more. Now we're looking at uh, all the different combinations that can be made for Xbox Series S and X controllers. Of course, uh, shout out to uh, Khalif Jenkins from Spawn on Me, who took his joke like a champ, as Parasoli put him on blast with his inscription, Ka Can't Cook, uh, which became a meme unto itself. It was really cool to see Microsoft's personality on display as they let Paris express his friendship and silliness towards his buddy. Uh, it, it was super cool t to watch that moment happen. But to see Design Labs back was really neat, and it really seemed to take Twitter by storm. There is an energy around the Xbox and gaming community. I should rephrase that. There's an energy around the gaming community about Xbox in a way that hasn't happened in almost a decade. And it's really kind of cool to see. There's been a lot of, of uh, elements that PlayStation has been able to celebrate every year uh, f since the PlayStation 4. And cheers to that. Like, that's awesome. That has accelerated and advanced the medium. And Xbox has taken a lot of lumps through the Xbox One generation. To see the vibe and energy surrounding Microsoft and Xbox right now is just stellar. And that was encapsulated by so many people on my timeline. Xbox gamers primary, Xbox gamers secondary, and just, you know, fans of gaming in general creating their own combinations of controllers to celebrate their favorite sports teams, to celebrate old, old, uh, this was really cool, to celebrate, you know, classic consoles. I saw... Uh, Series S and X controllers being designed in the vein of PlayStation 1, of the, the Super Nintendo, of the GameCube. Uh, one of my favorites was the Xbox 360 color combinations with the colored buttons and the, the, the white controller with the, the gray uh, joysticks. It was just neat to see all the different things you can do. Uh, I will tell you that I have created a custom controller, not for myself. I did not put the money down to make one for myself, but I put put it down, I made an inscription, I did a particular color scheme to celebrate uh, a certain thing, and it is being sh shipped eventually to a mystery person, and we'll find out when that happens, uh, whenever that gets made. I'm sure a lot of people are making those controllers right now, so whenever it arrives at that person's house, uh, I'll let you guys know what it was, but I'm excited to to share my own style joke, in, inspired, of course, by Paris and Khalif's uh, joke back and forth with themselves, but uh, we'll see just, just what happens there. But bottom line, Design Labs looks great. Really excited to see how people take to it, uh, and, and cheers on that one, because I am, I am just, I'm just happy to see this energy around it. I'm going to take a quick break, uh, get a little water, and then we'll keep going. 
All right, guys, I'm back, and I'm rocking, and I'm rolling. Uh, while I don't really have a lot of interest myself in playing Microsoft Flight Simulator, it was really cool to see the deep dive coming out. And uh, George Newman is somebody I met at E3 in 2019 when he and Joseph Staten from Halo fame uh, were kind of trying to fix and get shipped out of their Crackdown 3, a game that I liked but certainly wasn't what we all wanted it to be. Uh, George and J Joseph really did a lot to save that game just to make sure it could come out at all. So I got to meet them and didn't realize that I was meeting people that were just absolute full legends in the Xbox community. Uh, Mr. Newman came out on stage and talked to Paris about what they're doing with Microsoft Flight Simulator uh, and how they're getting it console ready and, and talked about the different modes and the ways that they're bringing a lot of the uh, Flight Simulator specialties to a controller on July 27th and just how they're making it more accessible for people to check out, like having a virtual flight assistant to help you uh, manage different things, having an AI pilot take over and fly you over uh, different types of locales, essentially making the game easier for people to access. That doesn't mean sacrificing the simulator gameplay. Even with the Top Gun Maverick tie-in, this is not going to be an arcadey game, but there are elements that might make, might make, a few more people uh, less intimidated to check it out, including myself. Like, I was think thinking to myself, you know, I'd like to fly an, uh, an F-18 Hornet and be Maverick for a bit. Maybe I, if it's more accessible than a true simulator, maybe I'll have a go at it. But uh, all in all, that game's just gorgeous. It was it was nuts. It's That and Horizon are just stunning. We also got a little bit more of a look at Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life, which is the massive massive Pirates of the Caribbean crossover, and I just came off watching the big ol' showcase that went into a, a, an even deeper dive, and I hate the pun on that one, but there it is, on just what that is bringing. This is not like one or two things. This is a full-on expansion to Sea of Thieves, which they announced has 20 million players to date, which is just wild. Uh, it's got to be their biggest, biggest current IP at the moment, and I'm curious to see if they'll even get that many people playing Halo Infinite, you know, over the course of its first three years. That'll be neat to watch, but bottom line, they're doing a lot of stuff with Pirates of the Caribbean here. Not just ships and hulls, but they've got five different campaign stories to go on. There's voice acting, there's cinematics, they brought all new enemies to the game. Not just the story part of the game, but the main game as well. There's a lot of stuff they're doing with it, and it's a full-on true expansion, and it's free which is really cool. That, that game is being continuously sustained by uh, people who are have, have purchased the game or are playing it in Game Pass. Uh, but then the Pirate Emporium, where they sell different types of cosmetics, uh, has allowed people to access different types of, of battle passes, which they call a plunder pass, uh, to just keep sustaining that game. And it's really neat, and it works. That's my favorite part, is when I see monetization models that are not predatory, they allow more people in, but they also let people that want to support the game do so. And I'm not talking specifically about whales. Um, I'm thinking about Halo 5's multiplayer. I'm thinking about Sea of Thieves' multiplayer. Uh, I'm thinking about Gears... Gears 5's multiplayer. There's a lot of neat things that Microsoft's done there that other games are, are adopting as well. And I have a feeling that, that the Halo Infinite Battle Pass structure will be adopted by Fortnite uh, at some point, which is, is dope. Uh, Hades was shown off, as were a bunch of ID at Xbox games that I'll read off uh, later on for different reasons. We saw a deeper dive into Grounded, which is continuing to grow. Of course, we had Adam Brennicke on the show not too... Actually, it might have been a year ago now that I'm saying it. Not too long ago. Ooh, pandemic time. But it was really cool to see game director Adam Brennicke talk about what his team has been able to do since the game came out. 
uh, amusingly to me, it, it uh, they're doing this thing called the Shroom and Doom update in which mushrooms are like the big thing coming to that world. And out of context, that sound, seems so silly, and yet it makes perfect sense within that world. And that game had like a million players in week one in early access back when it first came out, which was just wild to me and here we are seeing that game grow again you're going to get pets now uh you can sit in chairs which apparently is a huge deal to the community which you know like that again out of context that sounds weird you can sit in chairs but uh if it's relevant to the game in that community dope cool and they're giving achievements to the game that's that's a big one to me that speaks a lot about where your game is when you're providing achievements to it uh which is cool uh, Shredders was put on display, which is a game that I'm really interested in. And in fact, I think I can, I'm just going to say it. Uh, we'll be talking to the Shredders developers later on in the year. They're going to come on to the show uh, when they're closer to launch. They didn't want to do everything just now, but, but I did speak to them. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to talking with them because that game just looks so zen and so much fun. And I'm really curious to see uh, where it lands. And the best part is it's Game Pass, like everything else, uh, which is super cool. Um, I have more to talk about on some of these topics, but some of them come by way of some listener mail. So let's get into that. Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Before we get to listener mail, I want to let you guys know that I am currently checking out the Arctis Prime headset from SteelSeries. That's their $100 headset. Uh, I've just gotten my hands on it now, cracked it open, and I'm using it as we record right now. Uh, I'll let you guys know what I think because it's meant to compete primarily with that Xbox headset released at the same price point. Uh, When the time comes, I'll give you guys the rundown on that. But I just wanted to give you a heads up uh, as I want to do there. Now, Famous Seamus wrote in with a question that I am absolutely dying to answer. He says, with Xbox having an impressive E3 showcase, do you think the argument of Xbox having no games or exclusives is now at an end? I love this question for a lot of reasons, Famous Seamus. First and foremost, uh, that meme, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, if that meme would go away, I, I would have said probably not. Because, it one, it's funny. Uh, but two, it, it's used often by a lot of people, and really and truly, Microsoft's exclusives were lacking in terms of the comparative quality to Sony's. When you think about Ghost of Tsushima, Spider-Man, God of War, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, since these showcases, the positive vibes and the energy surrounding uh, Microsoft and Xbox gaming it's really seemed to have changed. It felt like the entire Xbox and Bethesda showcase, including the extended versions, uh, were dedicated to fixing all of that rhetoric, fixing that exact narrative, uh, and combating it in a couple different ways. I mean, think about it. In the last two episodes of XEP, I've recapped the pre-E3 and E3 Xbox presentations. And in this one, we're now talking about the extended showcase taking place. And I want to read the list to the listeners that is rather extensive of games that are coming out this year. And there are a couple lists that you can draw on, by the way. Uh, But here, let's just knock this one out. Uh, We had Yakuza Like a Dragon came into June 13th, right? But day and date into Game Pass on June 22nd is Dark Alliance. A lot of people looking forward to that game. Awesome. Can't wait. Microsoft Flight Simulator drops into Game Pass on July 27th. The Ascent drops in on July 29th. August 13th is Hades. August 19th is 12 Minutes. August 25th is Psychonauts 2. 
Uh, and then in September, you've got Aragami 2 and Sable. You've got uh, in October, Back for Blood, Age of Empires 4. In November, you've got Forza Horizon 5. Later this year with unannounced dates, you've got games like The Gunk, Hello Neighbor 2, Among Us, The Anacrusis, Scorn, and Halo Infinite. I am just, I'm at, I'm just stunned by what they've got coming out just this year. Just this year. That's 2021. And we know the full cadence of what those development studios are going to be doing. That's going to be happening more in mid-2022 and beyond. But for just this year, there's a lot of stuff coming to Game Pass and to Xbox that people should be celebrating. Games like Psychonauts 2 coming to multi-platform. Awesome. But Game Pass gamers are getting it day and date with no additional cost. Uh, Same thing excuse me, can be said for Back for Blood. That game is going to have cross-gen and cross-play, but you can play it on Game Pass with no additional cost. That's awesome. The Anacrusis, same thing. I mean, that's just, it's really cool to see that. Um, I I have a very good idea of when the gunk is coming out. It's kind of the accidental insider information I bumped into uh, because I'm not an insider. It's just kind of an accident. I know when that one's coming out, and it slots out very well into the window of time that, that, uh, it needs to be to, to get a great impact. And that's just really cool to see. There's a lot of things happening for Game Pass in the future. Uh, in in beyond 2021, famous, Seamus, and to anybody else, think about it. Think about what we know now. The Outer Worlds 2, Contraband, Starfield, Redfall, Replaced, uh, A Plague Tale Requiem, Somerville, Atomic Heart, Party Animals, uh, Stalker 2, Avowed, Fable, Perfect Dark, the Indiana Jones game. It's it's just wild to me how much is happening in an exclusive staple of games or in a place where they launch into Game Pass. And both of those lists are extensive, and it's it's something to celebrate. There's a lot to be happy with there. You want, you really want as a gamer, Microsoft to compete with Sony and, and work to land on the caliber of a God of War, of a Spider-Man, of a Ghost of Tsushima. Because if they're not doing that, they're doing a disservice. Really and truly, really and truly, Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5 look well beyond the quality that I was expecting them to be. Because let's be, think about the, the last few years of Xbox exclusivity. Forza, Halo, Gears. Those were the three pillars during the Xbox One generation. Amusingly, State of Decay 2 did quite well, but Sea of Thieves was the most successful of all of them. But people led, or landed on Halo and Forza. Well, Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5 have upped the ante in a way that Gears 5 never quite did, right? And they look to be appealing to more people than than any of the previous games ever had. So th- there's a lot to celebrate here, a whole lot to celebrate here. Although I am convinced that Scorn is never actually coming out now that I, I make all those statements. I don't think Scorn's ever coming out. It's been forever, guys. Where are you at? Where are you at? You were supposed to be a launch game. The next question comes from Mr. Dano himself, the man who continues to destroy me in Halo despite my uh, despite my frustrations. He says, I'll refer to my question from last week. If they release a TV with Game Pass built in like Roku and stuff, will that sway you into buying one when the time comes to replace your current one? Dano, um, I don't know that it would... Would I don't know that I would buy a TV for that that service, right? Like when the time comes, when I'm looking at a TV, will it factor in? Yeah, yeah, it probably will. Um, but I would not go buy a new TV just for that service. Uh, I'm more likely to buy the streaming stick or the 
uh, Xbox Series S to work on my downstairs TV. In fact, I looked last night, cannot seem to find a streaming, uh, an Xbox Series S to have downstairs. They're just still not available, uh, which is a bummer. But also, I saw a lot of people getting Xbox Series S and Xs thanks to the, the restock, and it is so cool to watch. I hope you guys are enjoying your new systems uh, for sure. We'll have to do some giveaways for those of you that got new systems. I don't know. Send me send me a DM on Twitter, guys, at Ghost. If you got a new system uh, over the past week or two, give me a shout. Let me know. Um, I'll see if I can't find something for you. Just to, Just to to try and help out. And if I can't, um, I love you nonetheless, and you're very handsome or beautiful or whatever attractive level you would like to be. Um, but, Dano, it probably would sway me between one or another option. However, all in all, picture quality is going to be the most important. After having put laid eyes on an LG OLED screen, I don't know that I can ever go back. My um, my wife consistently wants to watch TV in my room because the screen looks better, which is dope. Uh, let's see. A related question to this came from Trunky Monkey, and he said, After recently announcing that the xCloud servers are in the final stages of being replaced with Series X servers, when can we expect the Game Pass streaming stick app to reach consumers? Real talk, Trunky Monkey? I don't know, man. It's got to be in 2022, mid to late, right? Like, at the, at the earliest. I can't imagine they have the production for hardware like a streaming stick ready to go given the pandemic and their, their their difficulty making Series S's and X's in general to set aside to make the streaming stick. Though the components are not the same. I just, I mean, it's a lot of production ramp up that I feel like we would have heard about by now. That said, I to reference his point about the servers being upgraded, there are currently Xbox One S server blades operating for xCloud, and those are getting sh- uh, swapped out for Series X server blades uh, by the end of the year, meaning that your games will stream and run better than ever uh, on xCloud. So in my mind, I mean, that service is only going to get better, but I don't know when we would see the full upgrade for a streaming stick. But I don't really mind it at the moment because the world's still a little shut down. And as long as they get it up and running by mid-2022, uh, when theoretically the majority of this pandemic would be behind us and people are out and traveling far more uh, than they are currently, even with the vaccinations that are in place, I think that's that's likely when that's to happen. But but Real Talk Chunky Monkey, I'm, I'm pulling those those the reason, reason behind that stuff out of the air and just making my best educated guess and somebody could give me info tomorrow and that would change everything there but uh thank you both for those questions let's get to mr edward varnell's question edward writes in and he says with most of the xbox e3 titles coming next year and 2023 do you think that microsoft got some surpri- has got some surprises for the rest of the year and does that mean they'll make a bl- bigger splash at this year's game awards well edward i think when i was answering famous Seamus's question i noted that xbox has a lot of stuff coming this year um, it may not be all first party stuff and i think that maybe that's specifically what you mean there in that particular sense because if you think about the list that I just read off for Famous Seamus, there's a lot of stuff happening for uh, Xbox this year. I mean, I, there's ID at Xbox titles that I didn't even include, uh, like Warhammer Dark Tide, right? I mean, that's coming out this year, and uh, Atomic Heart, and Medieval Dynasty, and, and whatnot. But uh, as far as the bigger stuff, will we see th- like some of the bigger things at Game Awards? I think you could probably comfortably say that at Game Awards, you're going to see something from Avowed, Fable, or Hellblade 2, right? I don't know which one it would be. I don't think you should see all three of them for sure. 
but one of them should make an appearance. Maybe you'll see something out of Indiana Jones, but not likely. Uh, I think it's a confident bet that you'll see something from Starfield. I think it's a confident bet you'll see something from Halo about what they're going to be doing after launch, like a early roadmap type thing. Maybe not a roadmap per se, but like, you know, our first thing that we're doing for our community, something in that in that sense. But right now, I think there's a, a strong promise for what the rest of this year looks like and 2022 uh, going forward. I don't think they need to make a huge splash but I think they need to continue strengthening their relationship with the Game Award audience. Uh, and that's a very different thing. Jeff Keighley has a, a market tap that Xbox has not been able to reach historically. Now, this year did a lot to alleviate that with their great showing uh, in, in the E3 window. But uh, certainly there needs to be something there. Um, I do think maybe it's possible you also see what they're working on for the family-friendly department. I know they're working on something to kind of alleviate that. A lot of people jump to Banjo. Maybe you see something in that respect, but but who knows, bud. The last question that we'll get to today before we get to our interview with the Anacrucis developers. Uh, Clint Coombs said, we had it on Mother's Day, and what are, are some of your father figures that stand out to you in gaming? Uh, Clint? I thought about this one, and I'm not ignoring the question, but my brain does not work that way. I don't really think of the fathers and the mothers in gaming. I don't like, I really did run my mind through it, and I couldn't think of anything truly in that respect. So instead, I'll tell you a brief story about my father in video games that has stuck with me to this day. Um, my dad, not a gamer, not really into video games. In fact, there was a time when I was a kid where he seemingly looked down on it, and my mother convinced him eventually, that we could finally go buy a PlayStation. It was buy an N64 is what it was. And he called it a toy. He's like, we're going to go get your toy today. And this is after years of me like begging and pleading and trying. But to see my father open his mind up and be swayed into letting me go to the store with my own money and uh, buying a PlayStation, helping me buy an extra game so I could have more than one, and then sitting down with my family and I on a vacation and playing FIFA World Cup 98 with my mother and my brother, myself was one of the coolest memories that I have of my father who's not really a gamer like he wouldn't really play games right but seeing him play games and jump in and just just be a part of the experience with me was really cool because it was so out of his element but he wanted to bond with me his son uh, and my brother his other son was neat was really cool and so that that kind of sticks out in my mind it's just a good fun family memory with him Uh, so that's that on on that one Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with me for through the last three episodes, which were a lot of recaps on great announcements and just kind of quick talking points here and there. But I, I absolutely have just enjoyed and adored the vibe that's been on my timeline for the gaming community of late. It's been really, really cool. Um, thank you guys for listening to the show. You can find it on any of your podcast services. And if you've got iTunes or a PC with an iTunes account, it mean the world if you would go and drop an iTunes review. Uh, I'm creeping up on 70. I'm almost there. I'd really like to get there. Um, those reviews make all the difference in those algorithm states. And, of course, you can find the show on YouTube.com slash Xbox Expansion Pass as well. Let's send you guys now to my interview with Chet Falizek, a developer at Stray Bombay. He helped co-found the company. He's worked with uh, former Riot Games designer Kim Vol in creating that Stray Bombay studio. He worked on Half-Life. He worked on Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And now he is making his own game with the Anacrusis. I'll let him tell you guys about it. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy.
I'm excited now to welcome to the show Chet Falasek, CEO and co-founder of Stray Bombay, to discuss his upcoming title, The Anacrusis. Chet, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I am thrilled to have you. I first saw, and I think many people first saw the Anacrusis uh, during the Summer Games Fest presentation, and then again today at the Xbox Extended Showcase. What a week, man. How are you feeling? Good. Well, it's that weird thing, though, right? Because it's the pandemic. So um, while we're recording this today, I recorded the Xbox thing last week. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's all this weird feeling of, uh, I don't you know, I, I wish we were all just hanging out at E3 uh, Certainly at the Mar so. in the Marriott. And uh, yeah. Certainly so. The bumping elbows of E3s not getting to happen in quite the same way this year. Uh, I miss it too. But I will tell you, uh, it was really cool seeing the reception to a number of titles, including the Anacrusis. Uh, how have you felt the reception's been to, to the game since you guys have shut it off? Uh, it's been great. Um, you know, I think, uh, people get the, the style and the character, like we, we wanted that trailer really to be about like, Hey, here's a world and people you want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we really just nailed that. I mean, for us, it's also about, we always just want to talk with the community of where we're at, what we're doing and kind of go on with that. It's kind of why we waited to release a trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, and then while we, why we chose not to have a cinematic trailer, like a lot of, you know, I, I get doing the cinematic trailer cause you're again, trying to express something about your game that is of some level of like, don't take this as this is what's gameplay is going to be exactly like, but what we think about it where mm -hmm. we just want to be like, Hey, here's some gameplay rock on. We're just going to keep showing you stuff through the summer through release. Well, there's a there's an elevator pitch here. I'm sure that you had to make, and I'm sure there were comparisons to other games uh, previously in your pantheon, and then kind of in its genre. Uh, I feel like I could describe it fairly well at this point, but I'd love to hear it from you. What was the elevator pitch for this game, and then the vision from there? Well, I mean, so we started with I was the project lead on Love for Dead One and Two. Mm -hmm. uh, That's about, so cool. Or, or co lead, I should say. I did uh, the first one with Michael Booth, and the second one with Tom Leonard. And it was really through there that I just fell in love with co-op. I always like co-op games, but it was there that you kind of really get a peel back. And it's when you're tearing apart of what's working, what's not working, what you want to see, what is cool, that you start to get that realization of like, hey, this is if we did this, you know, we can even motivate players more. Or we can get them to stick together more or we can have this kind of experience happen. And then, you know, is seeing the... um people coming and talking about it. I mean, I've, I've said the story about the military guy before. You don't mind. I'll, I'll say it again is I always just thought of games as I, I'm while I'm older, I played games from the get go and I've always thought of games as social, but I had this email where a guy sent me an email and said, Hey, you saved my marriage with love for dead. And this is after love for dead one. And I'm like, okay, dude, you got to explain that one. Mm, uh, wow. That doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense. I'm not a marriage counselor. And he's like, hey, I, I fight I'm over in Iraq. And if I call my wife on the phone, you know, I'm going to be like, hey, my life sucks. People are shooting at me. And she's going to be like, hey, her life sucks. The dryer's broke. But so they stopped calling each other on the phone. And instead, they would jump in and play Love for Dead together. And they would just have this shared experience. They'd be living in the moment together and not being worried about those other things. And it was in that way they could reconnect what it would be like being back home and just having fun together. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that really stuck with me as a really powerful way to think about what we're creating and what we're trying to do. And so we wanted to take that kind of experience and take it 
into new places and do new things with it. And so I grew again, older dude. I grew up with late sixties, early seventies, sci-fi TV shows. I didn't know they were campy at the time. I took them seriously. And so um, we're revisiting that kind of world and doing it serious. Well, I mean, seriously in the sense of that it's not campy or cheesy, but uh, it's still lighthearted and having fun there. Um, but yeah, living inside of that world of uh, that 70s sci-fi and this like, kind of the marriage of those two things um, together would really be the pitch for the game. There's so much to break down in that. The DNA of your experience working on Left 4 Dead, which I apologize for my fanboy outburst. Um, it's just super cool because I had similar experiences. You didn't say my marriage in, the, in that sense, but I, I bonded with people, met friends in that aspect of, of co-op that was introduced there. And I really feel like that's, impacted the gaming industry in a number of ways uh and it has to be a very informative to what you're trying to do here when you couple it with that 70s sci-fi stuff um any particular specific sci-fi references that that are peeking out to your mind while you put this art style together because it's very unique art style well so so I, a credit has to be given to the artists at stray bombay i simply did this horrible thing to them at the very beginning and I said, well, you know, I think we, the game I've always wanted to make is 70s sci-fi. And then their first question is, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> and it was really, that was the idea of just letting them run with it and being the owners of the vision um, was really important. And I think they've just nailed it and done amazing work there. Um, and it's, beautiful. so it's all, it's all credit to them and, and how they saw what that idea was and, and what we could do there. Well, I certainly feel like they've captured a lot of the personality and there seems to be a bit of humor in the trailer that we saw uh, for sure. Now, there are in my research for this, I'm finding aspects kind of that as I learn about the game, there are elements of perks and weapons and abilities. Uh, there are elements of the game that are meant to be episodic with a, a spin to it, as it were. Let's start with episodic. How is the game being released in, in episodes? Well, so, you know, one of the things that we realized, that I realized during Love for Dead was we had, we had kind of given everybody the entire story all at once. We essentially did the Netflix model, right? Like, here's everything. Mm -hmm. And then from that, players are smart. Um, they were able to kind of dig in and stitch together a lot of the story that we didn't explicitly put in the game. And I thought that was just really fascinating. Like, they they had maps and they understood actually where the game took place um, and just really went deep in a way that, um, you know, really surprised me of like how much they, they dug into that. And so then the thought here was like, okay, well, let's deliberately do that. We know we're going to be releasing other episodes. Um, so if we're doing that, how do we build on that long-term? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we say, Hey, here's the first episode. Um, there's more coming. But, you know, what, what, what is, how are you approaching? Like, how are you doing like cliff? How are we, how we're doing cliffhangers? We're thinking about like, Hey, if you played this one first and then you're going to make some assumptions here, or are you playing this one and you're going to play it a bunch of times, let's give you more than for every time you play it. We're actually going into the story even more. We're giving you more into the characters. We're breaking down like backstory and kind of diving into the characters and a bunch of stuff we can do. Cause we know you're going to play it again. And we know then, you know, if you want to, the story, if, you, if you're digging that, there's a way that you can approach the game then by playing it in those order to get it. And then again, like there's, there'll be the canonical way the first time you play it, then every time after that is different. 
Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of there's over a hundred different stories that get broken down in the game um, as you, as you play through and they just keep playing. Cause again, we know now that we can trust that people do come back and they play these games again and again, and they dig into that. And so if that's true, how we deliver story can be different. And it was really, I had a great desire to tell story in a way that only games could tell story. And that is definitely what we see here. Like you couldn't do this in a movie. You couldn't do this in a TV show just because they're linear. You're not going to have that same kind of um, connection. And so, you know, saying that if those things were true, what could we do? That was fun. And that's what we came up with. Interesting. So we're looking at uh, something like near infinite replayability is, is the concept behind that? Well, so one of the things, you know, again, going back to other games I worked on that we looked at and was important was making sure that the game was highly replayable mm -hmm. and what makes games highly replayable. And for us, a lot of that is looking at, well, a lot of the systems there, but also like, you know, it's just not enough to say, hey, this is going to feel different every time you play it because there's like where the monster spawn is different. What else mm -hmm. can we do? What else can we change in the world? What else can we have people experience? And for that, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do that we just weren't able to do back in the day. And so, um, you know, my co-founder, Dr. Kimberly Vol, uh, her doctor is in doctorate is in uh, AI. Mm -hmm. And so she started from the very beginning, the first lines of code written for this game were for the AI. They were mm -hmm. for, you know, let's, what can, what can we do? What can we do to just push this forward? What can we do inside of that space? And, you know, we've just been building on that since. And that's just something that we continually um, expand so that not only do you have the peaks and the valleys of the experience, right? So if you go into a room one time, maybe filled with creatures, next time there's nothing. And then as you're playing, you have these really great ups and downs of waiting for the shoe to drop, or you have that moment where like, okay, well now we can make a run for it, or I hope this doesn't happen here. But we also have things that um, with everything in the world being controlled by our AI driver, we can do things like, hey, if you're a really good team, we can put stuff off the path. So all of a sudden that good team now needs to go hunt a little bit more to go find health. Mm -hmm. um, they need to kind of approach the game differently. And all of a sudden that stuff is really interesting because, you know, a typical way you might do skill in a game is, hey, the game's harder because uh, enemies are, the, the health of them is twice as hard, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's true, that's a valid way to make the game harder. But what's more interesting is making the game harder in ways that aren't as simplistic as that and instead kind of make you look at like, Hey, this game's harder because you have to you live more time in the world and you're exploring the world more. And you know, what does that look like as a player and what can we do with that? And so it was really just stepping back and saying that this whole game, what are those things that we can do inside of this game to um, let us make it replayable, but also make it adapt and react to the people playing it. So that not only do you have a different game each time, but depending on who you are, you're going to have a different game because we're paying attention to that. Interesting. This sounds like an evolved form of, uh, from Left 4 Dead, the director, I believe it was called, like an, ev an evolution of that. So uh, my co-founder, Dr. Kimberly Vol, uh, her, her doctorate is in um, AI. And so the very first things we started working on were the AI for the game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're familiar with Love for Dead, it's different every time you play it in that you can walk into a room and it'll be filled with, in our case, aliens, and the next time not. And you want to have that mixing it up so that that feels different every time. 
But then there's also a lot of other things you can push on. So, you know, you have that where it's really been chill for a while. What bad's going to happen? But then mm-hmm. you can also have, hey, you're not a good team. You're struggling. Let's put some health kits right on the path so that you can find them and heal and you can have that still fun of playing. And if you're a really good team and you're killing it, let's go off into the ledge and let's go like make you have to go search for items all through the side rooms and kind of explore more to find um, additional ammo or health or whatever you have. And then, you know, on top of that, let's mix it up even further and say, hey, we know as you're playing over time, um, we have an idea of perks and perks are uh, upgrade abilities and they change how you play, but also we're paying attention to how you play. So let's mix that up as well. Right. And so Mm -hmm. how you get your perks and what perks you're getting are dependent on that underlying AI. And for us, it's just really important that AI layer be in control of everything. Cause if it's in control of every aspect of the game, that means we can tune and react to the people playing it and really make each uh, session memorably different. And then it also means over time we're paying attention. And so that means if you're killing it with the same team for 10 sessions in a row, why don't the 11th session, let's just go crazy. Let's just throw a million aliens at you and see what you do. <laughs> and we can do that and have more fun with kind of the skill level and difficulty because we're paying attention and we understand if you're doing difficulty tuning, normally you have to kind of tune for the middle because you don't know what happened to them before or after. Mm-hmm. And you would say, Hey, we're going to mix it up and make it random. But if it's just truly random, it could still be 10 times. They're going to get just really overrun and mobbed. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be frustrating. It's not going to be fun. So how do we make that random fun? And some of that is by tuning the AI driver to react to how you're playing, what's in the world, and then giving it a whole bunch of tools to work from, from the alien spawning to special spawning to the weapons that you get, to the special weapons that you get, to the meta compilers in the world that are giving you the perk system, and then what perks you're getting. Um, all of that is just all tied in together. That's a lot of variables, and it certainly feels like it it would be an evolution from that director system. More to the point, those perks, uh, that perk system has been the talk of the town as well as the AI. Uh, tell me a bit about that perk system and how you're onboarding new players to, to work with those who may have quite a bit of time in the game. Yeah, so one of the things that we saw early on when we were looking at like some recent games is you'd often have players who made big investments of time into the game. Um, have a hard time playing with new players because they had leveled up, right? So mm-hmm. you get really high in the game. You're the biggest fan of the game. And you tell your friend, hey, dude, you got to play this game with me. And then you're like, well, I'm going to create a Smurf account so I can play with you. Or I'm going to tell you, play for a while, and then you can join me. And for us, it was always about those connections, about being able to play with your friends and have a mixed skill set mm-hmm. and also mixed experience set. So somebody who's been playing all the time, you can now play, you know, you can, you can play with them and you're still having fun. And with that, um, you're earning perks over time. Instead of, instead of just leveling up your character, you're earning these perks and some other things over time that you can then spend in game sometimes, or like in the perk system, the perks that are going into those Mata compilers, well, you're getting a whole bunch more of them as you play over time. And now you can actually share those with your friends in the sense of they'll all be in the same system. Mm-hmm. So if it's your first time playing and you're playing with me, you're going to have a whole bunch of perks available to you. And that will like just let you entirely just jump in and play with, with those, even though you haven't played that much. And then it also allows you still to be trying to earn those over time. So you kind of have that progression 
of wanting to jump in and get those. And, you know, those, those perks over time and in session will actually really change the way you play and then allow you to choose to build those perks out in a way that could essentially give you a class in a way. So we didn't want to have you pick classes at the beginning of the game because often when we've seen when you do that, and especially with co-op games, and again, we're always thinking through the lines of co-op games, but if I'm playing with the same group of friends every week, I'm going to be the support person. And I'm going to be the support person every single week. And there's going to be a point where I'm like, I don't feel like playing support, but that's mm -hmm. my role in this team. Where with the perk system and how it, since you're not able to directly pick which perks you get, but how right. you perk, I mean, which perks are available to you. What happens is as you go up to the Matic compiler, you'll have a list of ones you can choose from. And inside of that list, you can choose. You can start building out a different kind of character set along the way. And that will then kind of choose what you're playing mm -hmm. and the kind of the role you're playing. And so that way you're mixing that up over time as well, instead of just getting locked into always being the support character. And I just think, you know, that that's again, that mixing it up and, you know, um, I think these kind of games excel best when you're making these decisions on the fly, be it strategy of fighting the alien horde or the class you're playing in, instead of like, you can rise up at that moment and it's in that moment of the game, you know, you're the last person left standing, you're trying to save your team and you're using all those tools available to you. And it's mixing up what those tools are so that you kind of really have that variety even there. It sounds like you guys put a lot of thought into player onboarding. Like that was a really important tenant for you. Uh, am I reading too much into that? No. So I, so I, I think there's a thing that happens with games that hit that people are excited to share with their friends that is hard to talk about and not always obvious. And one of those things that makes those kind of games connect and people connect to them is that they just work with your friends, that you can invite your friend over and say, hey, let's play this and they can jump in and play it. And you have a mm -hmm. lot of cruft over the top of it. Like a lot of modern games have very complex systems that new players just kind of get overwhelmed by. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been really hard for you to jump into with your friends. So if you think again, through the lens of co-op and that you want to be able to play with friends, you want to have something that onboards easily and well. And so with that, not only is it like an accessible game of from the, from the moment you hit play to you in the action is very short. Mm -hmm. um, what you're doing is understandable. We also have our game instructor system that's teaching you as you play. So some things that may be unique to our game, we're actually going to highlight and tell you how to play. And your friend who's been playing it a bunch won't see any of those, but you as a new player will see those. And we do all this onboard boarding by testing uh, new players. So we have regularly have new players in every week or every other week right now um, and watching them play. Like you have to watch them play. You can't just collect the data. You need to watch them play, see them, how they talk about the problems that they're going through, how mm -hmm. they kind of um, really kind of progress through and think about what they're doing because you want to you want to you want to see how they're thinking about the game and how they're approaching it, so then you can build systems that help them on board, help them get into the game and have fun. Because really, it's about I think for a co-op game, you have a successful co-op game when your friends can join you and they can be productive in the very first session and not have to wait to be like ten sessions in before it clicks with them how to play or how to be uh, successful. Gotcha. 
Huh. Well, you know, you mentioned a couple other titles throughout this this interview, and I'm thinking when I th- when I think co-op first-person shooter, Left 4 Dead, of course, comes to mind. But of late, World War Z, Second Extinction, Aliens Fireteam, Back for Blood. It's a golden age of co-op shooters, which I would imagine is a double-edged sword for you because you had a hand in founding that genre in many ways. Uh, and also you have the Anacrusis coming. So how are you guys setting that apart, setting the Anacrusis apart from some of those other heavy hitters? Well, so first, um, we have a Discord, discord.gg slash Bombay, where mm-hmm. we play co-op games every Wednesday night and uh, mods every Thursday so cool. that there's more co-op games for us to play. I'm excited. At the end of the day, I just want to play more co-op games. I remember when we first released Love for Dead, just telling everybody to make more co-op games. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think what we're doing is special and different than anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it will have the longevity of when you build it on the AI and can be adaptive as we are and you're doing the play testing and really kind of drilling into that, it makes it special. But I also love those games. I mean, I was playing Deep Rock Galactic the other day. We played Killing Floor last week. We played some Love for Dead 2 yesterday. Um, Like, I'm a fan of those. I play those. Our Discord will continue to play those up and through release of our game because I don't think it is just one game wins them all. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, different games bring different interesting things. And I think... I embrace that. I don't, I'm, I'm fine with that. I love that. There's so many new games coming out. I mean, I think the, um, arcane, um, vampire four player co-op game looks amazing as well. Like I'm, I'm excited for all those. Mm -hmm. That's it. That is so refreshing and great to hear. Uh, did that mentality factor into like the idea of game pass? Cause you guys are launching on PC, uh, Xbox one and series S and X into game pass. I believe on day one Epic game store as well. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to look that out. Um, did, did that idea of just lots of co-op games factor into your choice in going to game pass? Um, so as a player, so a lot of this, I just look at this as a, as a player and as a player, I think game pass is just an amazing deal. If you don't have game pass and you play games, I, I don't know what to tell you, man, you're, you're, you're passing <laughs> up on it. Unless I guess maybe you're just super wealthy. Like I guess Elon Musk <laughs> probably doesn't care about game pass. Or if you get all your games for free, maybe if your dad works at Nintendo or whatever the joke is, uh, <laughs> like that may work for you. But really, if if you like games, Game Pass is just such a deal. And so for us wanting to get those games into Game Pass and then having cross play with all of those platforms, including Steam, Epic Game Store, um, was just really important because for us, it's about hooking up with your friends and they should be, you should be buying the games where you're comfortable buying them and being able to play with your friends. And so for us, a small studio and the easiest way to stand up the first version of that for us was through Microsoft. And they've been actually super supportive, super excited about cross-play themselves and supporting us on that. And so, yeah, it's just, I think this Game Pass is a great deal and it's a great place to pick up the game and try it. And if you like it, you want to stick around for longer or you can make the purchase or you just keep using a game pass. Um, but we're going to keep releasing content for years and it's about, you know, letting players access that for free and uh, yeah, enjoy the game. And again, I just, I, I think valve my years there taught me if you make a fun game, if you put that first forward and if you make it accessible and you think about players first and how players think about it, the rest of it will follow. Um, like if you think about some monetization schemes first or, uh, you know, NFTs of your guns or whatever the hell people are doing these days, uh, it's just, it just doesn't work. I mean, make a fun game people want to play 
That is the first and foremost thing. And then how can you give it to them? What is the best way to reach the most people? Um, you know, I wish we could just give it away to free to everybody. Um, but this is, you know, I guess the next best thing. Next best thing for sure. Uh, two more questions before we get you out of here. Stray Bombay, you said it was a fairly small team. How, how many people are, are working there? Uh, there's currently 21. Um, oh, but wow. really most of what you see in the trailer is probably closer to the 12 to 14 number. We did some wow. growth recently. And so wow. it's just really about, um, you know, everybody who we hire plays the game before they start. Mm-hmm. Um, they jump in, they get to have that experience. They get to have that understanding of what we're trying to make. And it really is like, Hey, come here. If you want to work on this kind of thing and do this kind of thing and having that kind of shared purpose has let us really move fast as a small team. That's so cool. So cool. So I suppose the final question is one that you are more than welcome to dodge, but with it coming to game pass, having crossplay uh, to PC, when should players be looking forward to this one coming out? Let's say fall. We'll say See, fall. there's no dodging. I, there's no I, dodging. I confidently said a season. So there, there you All go. All right, no, there you yeah. go. Constantly said as he. All right. <laughs> I say, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't mean to be kidding. Yeah, it's, no, this, this, this fall. This fall, we're looking to release it. And that the thing is, awesome. is um, if you want to, if you want to follow along and see where we are, the, it really is our Discord, Discord.gg/straybombay. Um, we're in there regularly answering questions, and we'll start picking people from there to play test and join us, as well as um, we've started reaching out to some modders this month to join us to make some user-generated content um, for launch, because I think that's super important involving the community that way. And so, um, yeah, just join join us over there and you can see where we are. And our goal is to always be really transparent of where we are in the project and where we're headed. Um, and so hopefully I was that today. And if not, and you have more questions for me, hit me up over at the Discord and happy to answer them. One more time, Chet Falasek, would you please uh, let people know one more time where that Discord is and where they should be following the Anacrucis for socials? Yes. So our our company name is Stray Bombay Company. Uh, Bombay is our brood of cat. Uh, our logos are one of my cats. Um, and so it, the you can follow us on discord.gg slash Stray Bombay. And then our, we are at um, the Anacrucis website. The Anacrucis.com is the central one. The uh, Stray Bombay for um, YouTube, Stray Bombay for Twitter, Anacrucis Game for Twitter. And oh, you can also, I do a really bad job of streaming games because when we play the co op games, I like to stream them so we can talk about them bigger at Stray Chat on Twitch. Um, but yeah, I'm bad at it. Uh, so come bug <laughs> me there. And really, that's just a chance to talk with the community and we talk about what we're playing. Because like when we're playing Killing Floor, sometimes it's fun to talk about like, yeah, what is the impact of this? And why is this a super interesting um, thing they put in the game? And how can we think about that?